Money Sense is brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group, four-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com and listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We're located in Pewaukee, just north of 194 between Highway 164 and Highway F in Ridgeview Corporate Park. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building, directly across from Winkies. And we're very fortunate to be able to service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. And I'd really like to invite you to stop over to see our new digs. We have over 40 acres of beautiful land and feel free to stop in and just uh, see our new location and get to know us a little better. Today is a really a, a fun day. Of course, aren't all my days fun doing the radio? I happen to uh, be reading a book just, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, and I picked it up, and it's called The Traveler's Gift, and the author is Andy Andrews. And as I was reading it, I was so entertained. I enjoyed the book. Uh, I, I'm going to say this. I, if my employees are listening, that's going to be one of their Christmas presents this year. But it was one of those opportunities where I felt that the message was being delivered in an, an original way. The message was really good. And um, I had read also that Good, Mer Good Morning America named it one of the five books you should read in your lifetime. Andy's written over 26 books. He sold more than two, 20 million copies around the world. And it's, uh, it's a book about a man who ends up in a, in a car accident and is transported to all these different amazing places in the world. He gets to meet Abraham Lincoln, Anne Frank, King Solomon, Harry Truman, Christopher Columbus, and a few more. And I just thought the message was profound. So I'm going to welcome you right to the show, Andy. Thanks for being my guest. Hey, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. You know, Andy, what? What prompted you, and you've been writing books, you're a teacher, what prompted you to do this book? And what are you hoping that the impact will be on the people who read it? And I'm, you know, I love my listeners. So whenever something good comes across my life, I want to share it. Well, I, I was actually 19 when my parents died and my mom uh, was uh, died of cancer. My dad was killed in a car accident same year. And <clears throat> long story short, I made some rough decisions and ended up literally homeless before that was even a word. Uh, you know, 40 years ago, nobody was talking about homeless people, but that was, I was living on, under a pier on the beach and met an old guy who got me started reading. And, uh, and I, I, I read a ton of biographies and my big question was what you know how did these people turn out like this is it something they did or were they just born this way and i as i read i i began to identify different characteristics of theirs and and i i just called them things and i identified seven things and and these seven things turn out to be principles that that if if people use them they they work every time and so so those were the seven things i started throwing in my life to yank myself out of those circumstances and then years later 
they became the seven decisions in the traveler's gift. And, and so that story, as you said, is about a, a, a family going through a tough time and the dad is transported through time and gets to meet with these seven historical figures who are also going through a tough time. And each of them gives him a different principle that if he puts it in his life, things will change. Well, let's talk about, um, let's see, the buck stops here. Yeah, that was Harry Truman in the book. And uh, so that, so that was that was an easy choice, right? But that's responsibility. <laughs> and responsibility is is something that I, I think that people misunderstand. You know, there's two extremes, you know, one one side saying until these people accept responsibility, they're never going to be able. And you got another side going, well, it's not their fault. Don't you understand what their parents were like? And and. And responsibility really doesn't have anything to do with with blaming people for where they are. Or, or it, it it responsibility is about hope and control, you know. I, and who among us doesn't want to have hope for a greater future we control? But if you blame your mother, if you blame your uh, your your environment, if you blame the economy, if you blame your neighbors, if you blame the president. There's not a lot of hope there because there's no control. I mean, if where you've ended up really is the fault of the president of the United States, I, you know, we might as well jump off a cliff. Uh, what are we going to do about the president, whoever the president happens to be? But if we can look in a mirror and say, you know, I've had some crazy things happen and I couldn't control any of them, but I've made choices in response to those crazy things that have led me right down a path to a place I don't like. If we can understand and believe that, that's great news. Because if you can understand and believe you can make choices that will lead you to a place you don't like, doesn't that mean you can also make choices that would lead you to a place you do like? And so the game becomes make better choices. And that's what the other six principles are about. So how did you weave Harry Truman into the story? Well, you know, responsibility and Harry Truman's whole demeanor, you know, he has a, has a had a thing that the buck stops here on his desk. And so he was a he was a, a a rational choice to to have that particular thing. And also, you know, this guy, David Ponder, who's going through the worst time in his life, is visiting people who are going through the worst, most stressful time in their life. And so he visits Harry Truman while Truman's determining how to end the war and if he is really going to use this weapon that nobody knows he has. Fascinating. And so with the whole concept of the buck stopped here and taking responsibility, how do you see, or I think it's obvious, this impacting the reader and the reader really getting the idea that they need to take responsibility for their life? Yeah. Well, I think that when people... I think a lot of that is a is a part of, has has to do with understanding it. I mean, there's not a person in America that hasn't been told you need to take responsibility <laughs> or you need to have more responsibility. So why don't we? Well, it could be that we don't really understand what's in it for us. Um, but but if you know, without responsibility, there is no hope or control, and. Most of us would like to have hope for a greater future we control. 
Yes. Well, let's take a quick break, Andy. And when we come back, let's look at I Will Seek Wisdom, which is King Solomon. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is author Andy Andrews, and the book is The Traveler's Gift. And there's so many great things coming up, birthdays, holidays, um, Father's Day, kids going off to college. Just a really great book. And it's an easy read. It's fun. And uh, again, I'm going to introduce Andy Andrews, uh, the author of the book. And Andy, we were talking about the principles that you found through your own life and have really used them to impact so many people around the world. So the second one is I Will Seek Wisdom, which is King Solomon. And all of a sudden, David Ponder is transported with a message and he ends up in an area that he doesn't quite understand and meets King Solomon. Yeah. And King Solomon talks to him about, about (laughs) wisdom and the difference in wisdom and knowledge. Most of us, you know, when we hear the word wisdom, we kind of default to knowledge or information, but there's a big difference, you know, Um, wisdom, you know, wisdom is the, is the ability to see the consequences of behavior before you behave, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, I, I, and I, and I think that people look at knowledge and think that it's wisdom, but if, if you have, like, if, if you have a 12 year old or know a 12 year old, there's not a 12 year old, any of us know that doesn't have the mental and physical ability to learn how to drive a car. We could teach 12-year-olds to drive a car. But if you did teach a 12-year-old to drive a car, you still wouldn't throw on the keys and say, have a great weekend, because they don't have the wisdom to apply that knowledge on a consistent basis and in a, a proper perspective. How did David interpret the the wisdom, the message that King Solomon had for him? How you know, did he part- integrate that? Part of it was a servant spirit, understanding that that King Solomon, while he considered himself king, he considered himself a servant of other people. And and so this is one way that David was able to integrate that message, not just to seek wisdom in all ways, but to use that wisdom in the service of other people. Then we go to the third one. I am a person of action, which was um, the Civil War Colonel Joshua. Yeah, Joshua Chamberlain. Yes. Yeah, that was that was the one character that I put in there that most people did not know who he was, and yet he was the. This is a guy that our country operates today, as it does, uh, largely because of a move he made you know, over 150 years ago at Gettysburg. He was uh, a guy from Maine in charge of a bunch of other guys from Maine. And he was the extreme left edge of that line of 80,000 men at Gettysburg. And he was told, you can't leave here. And so, so, 
the the Confederates were trying to breach that line there, trying to get around them, and they charged again and again and again, and finally got them down to where they were down to 80 men with no ammunition, and he was being urged to leave, but he said, we can't leave. You know, if we leave, they'll get around everybody, and they'll come down on the whole army from you know, from uphill and coming down behind them and they'll wipe us out. And so what he did was he commanded his men to charge and they charged with no ammunition. And when the Confederates saw him coming over the wall, they thought, surely these can't be the same people we've been fighting. They thought they've been reinforced and 80 men without ammunition captured over 400 of the enemy. And and so uh, historians today say that had that not happened, the South would have won at Gettysburg. And if South had won at Gettysburg, South would have won the war. And then, you know, you can take that butterfly effect throughout history and see what would have happened. And so that one piece of action, when logic demanded inaction, and hopelessness, uh, and hopelessness. And hopelessness, yeah, changed everything. So for David Ponder, who um, ended up in the midst of Joshua Chamberlain, he's observing and learning that his life, which he thought was so hopeless in that moment, and he really, as I recall, wasn't he contemplating suicide or something? Yeah. 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 And so all of a sudden you have dropped these characters into um, Harry Truman and King Solomon and now Joshua Chamberlain, where he is starting to see that there are more choices. Yeah. Yeah. There are always choices, always choices. And so David Ponder was able to start to mix and mingle now and starting to see how these principles connected with each other. And he was energized in each situation because all of those situations were hopeless in some way. It was a, a decision on Harry Truman's part, um, on King Solomon's part, and also Joshua's. And so what happened, I think, is a tapestry started to form where he was being given a vision that there's more than one way. Right, right. That's exactly right. And then, of course, there was I Have a Decided Heart, which was good old Christopher Columbus. <laughs> yeah, I always thought if they ever did a movie of that, my characterization of Christopher Columbus, I thought Robin Williams would have played that part well, because he's <laughs> kind of crazy, you know? Yeah. And but but he has that has that kind of aggravating optimism that we see in some people, you know, that sometimes that we get aggravated at. And yet, no matter what, they're moving forward. And those are the people that even though they aggravate us sometimes, they're the ones who lead us to to things that we might never have seen. So what was Christopher's story for David? Was about, you know, having this decided heart. You know, not to not to make a decision and then immediately begin doubting the decision and and then waffling. And, you know, a lot of people spend so much time analyzing 
that when they decide, they ain't got any energy left to do what they decided because they've analyzed so much. And of course, analysis uh, has become its own industry in our world today. And we have to remember that the purpose of analysis is to come to a conclusion and and to move forward with that conclusion. You know, even, even King Solomon in real life wrote something about that. And he said, stop listening to teaching that contradicts what you already know is right. You know, I think of my own career and, you know, you always say, I wish I had a penny, maybe a nickel for every time somebody told me not to do something or I couldn't do it or it was a dumb idea. And I remember in Christopher Columbus's story, his men were telling him they weren't going anywhere. I mean, they were done. They had right. had it. And Christopher was, you know, he was a bad, bad captain. And somehow he had to um, get he had to reinvigorate the people around him because, you know, all the ideas in the world and, and I've, I'm an idea person and all the things that I have come up with. And I even look at my own business. If I didn't have the most amazing employees and if I didn't have people that were willing to follow me to make my dreams come true, I would still be like Christopher on that boat, you know, <laughs> sailing, yeah, yeah. sailing to almost nowhere. It feels like, but he, he he found a way to take this difficult situation and to uh, convince his sailors, his employees, to not abandon the ship or not abandon him. So how did that how did you come up with that idea? It was great. Yeah. Well, you know, we take take parts of people's lives and take the and we take the it's like. Anytime you're writing about scenes of a real person's life, um, you know, you, you could look at any of them and say they aren't worthy to be in a book. But the idea is, you know, we would not want to be judged on the totality of our lives, right? I mean, we've all done some stuff we're not proud of, or, you know, we wish we had done differently. And so I look at using these characters as a buffet, you know? I mean, if you go into a cafeteria, you, you know, you pick up the banana pudding, you pick up the trout almadine, you know, you don't look and go, beets? You have beets here? I'm not eating here. I mean, you just leave the beats. And so with, with Columbus, he had this great, this great spirit of going into the unknown and being confident. I mean, when you think about it, he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where he was when he got there and he did it all on somebody else's money. What, a, you know, what an entrepreneurial effort, but the, the, the idea was, the, the guy had a dream. He had a vision in his life that he felt was accurate. And, and he moved forward on that and did not look back. And he was a strong leader. And people, you know, I always say people want to run with a winner. Right. They want right. to run with the winner, but he was convicted. And it was his conviction that, re-energize and reinforce the group of men that were sailing the boat. Exactly. Exactly. 
And, you know, if people go, well, they wanted to go back. Yeah, but they would have never gotten on the boat to begin with if he had not had that leadership style, that leadership personality. And, of course, he convinced them to continue on. But that's part of leadership, continuing to encourage people who tend to be discouraged, which, you know, one time or another, we, we all tend toward that. And so we need to surround ourselves with great people. When we go to the next one, um, I will greet each day with a forgiving spirit, our dear Anne Frank. And what a challenging situation she was in to still be in a, in a place of gratefulness. Yeah. Can you talk about that? I mean, yeah. And Frank, you know, today I will choose to be happy. <laughs> I, I, I wonder sometimes if happy was the right word to choose there, because I don't know that somebody can go, wow, I, five minutes ago, I chose to be happy and now I really am. I think that gratefulness is a better word. And I think that's, that's what I, I, I look at if somebody can choose to be grateful, which you can choose to be grateful. And, and if you choose to be grateful, the feeling that espouses is one we call happiness, but you can choose to be grateful. You can choose, you know, and I, I look at America today and, and, and as, as many problems as we have, if if you if you can't remember that your family has enough to eat today and that your family has a roof over your head today then you got to remember there's a, several billion people in the world that'll go to bed tonight without either and what did we do to deserve being born here and living here where our poverty line is something that people the world over aspire to. And so there is a way to choose gratefulness is by choosing our perspective, how we see things. When I think of David Ponder, who was uh, put into this place with uh, Anne Frank, he was so hopeless. He felt that there was no direction left for his life. He was ashamed. He was embarrassed. He felt that his life wasn't worth living anymore. And I think that was the part in, in the story with Anne Frank, where she could find those glimpses of hope that kept her going. And even living in hiding. Even, even in hiding. Even under a death sentence. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really, and we all know the story of Anne Frank, but I loved how you brought that to... David Ponder's um, attention and that you brought not only the the things that would be resiliency and some of those things, but often also the soft side. And that comes in the next one, Will, I will persist without exception, which was the Archangel Gabriel. And, you know, for me, um, I'm Christian and I believe in God and God is a, a, a a part of my life that helps me keep focused and gives me that um, persistence. And how did you come up with the Archangel Gabriel, though? And how do you how are you weaving? Explain to my listeners how that 
impacts are David Ponder. <laughs> well, I, you know, I thought, you know, Gabriel is the one who brought the message to Mary. Gabriel is, has, was used many times by God, you know, the stories in the Bible. And I, so I thought a most important place and a most important meeting, it would probably be Gabriel to, to be the caretaker of this place. And I don't want to ruin it for the readers, but this, this place shocks David Ponder into sensibility and and he sees a lot of the things that he has missed in his life in this place. And, and so Gabriel has a very firm conversation with David Ponder about what he's done with his life so far and what he has the, the capacity to do in, in his life upcoming. It's absolutely beautiful, and it is such a good book and so worth reading and so worth sharing, which is why, you know, we rang you up, and Andy, and said, will you do a radio show with me? We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'd like to ask you some questions and give us some insight on, on the big picture of life, because some of the things that you do is you speak to athletes, to businesses, doing radio shows like this, and you you really speak to people having a bigger picture of, of life out there in their own life. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is author Andy Andrews. He's got just a great book that you can give literally to your high school kids, to your um, college kids, to your father for Father's Day. And you know what? It's the kind of book that if you're a family reading it, I think it opens up the door. Not only you can talk about the principle of the book, but you can talk about Harry Truman and King Solomon and what they were doing. So I love historical novels. So I was really captured with, with the book, but it's, it's, we're always looking for ways that we can have a conversation with our kids. And I remember for me, I would try to take a different kid each time to the grocery store because I had him to myself in the car and they couldn't escape. And yeah, I couldn't yeah. talk to them. And, but this this is a great book as a family that you could almost like read one principle, one chapter and let everybody, you know, have a have a conversation and give their input. So before we took the break, um, I asked you to talk about the big picture of life. And Andy, you're talking to people all over the country in various different um, arenas, sports people, business people, um, all kinds of people that are looking to improve their lives or they're looking to bring value. What do you see as this big picture that's kind of going on in the world as things are just moving so fast? There's so much negative publicity about things out there and everybody's trying to make it. Everybody's trying to go to work and do a good job, trying to find family balance, but it's hard. It is really hard. Yeah. And I, I think I, I'm grateful for the book, The Traveler's Gift, because that that book has has lasted and continues to energize people. And when I wrote The Traveler's Gift, I thought it was pretty good. But 
I couldn't get it published. <laughs> and, you know, uh, publisher after publisher, in fact, 51 publishers turned it down before it was finally published. And then, of all things, a book that gets turned down that much, Good, Good Morning America called it one of the five books you should read in your lifetime. So go figure. <laughs> but I, I think that what I was trying to do with the book was to add value to people's lives and and have people understand how important that they were to others and that that we're all a part of this 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 mishmash you know thing, things are kind of crazy right now but there is a foundation that we can grab hold of um you know, you you mentioned that you're a Christian. I'm a Christian too, and and for us, we have that foundation. But you know that that uh, Jesus's uh, comment. You know the the second the the, the greatest uh, commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart. Uh, but the second greatest commandment is to love your fellow man, and and to show that that love and and i think that um a big picture for me is to is to 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 help people understand that we can disagree without being disagreeable that that we can have conversations with people that that think differently um you know there is a there is a, a thought that I had uh, one time about about uh, compromise, uh, you know, because because when I'm talking about uh, disagreeing agreeably, I'm not necessarily talking about compromise. I, I think that there are times when compromise is appropriate, but it's not always appropriate. You know, I think you compromise on opinion because opinion it you know doesn't really matter one way or another to somebody who it's not their opinion and and so you can compromise on opinion like uh carpet color is an opinion you know if if you have uh two employees and you make them in charge of the uh carpet color for your new your new digs and one of them wants blue and the other wants green and they're never gonna agree on it well at some point you choose and so they come out maybe they say teal okay because you can compromise on a carpet color because it doesn't really matter you know so you go teal and and everybody's okay with it but when you cannot compromise is on principle you know, you can't compromise on principle because when you compromise on opinion, you can get 100% value. You know, even though that carpet was teal, it, you get 100% of that value of that carpet. But when you compromise on a principle, you don't get any value. Uh, you know, you can't. And it's like the principle of gravity. If if we watched a politician, you know, say, well, you know, I know that everybody's wanting me to sign off on gravity, but with my constituents at home and with the technology that we have today, I can't 
in all good faith, sign off on 100% gravity uh, because we have the technology and we've got people in in my district who just uh, uh, don't believe in gravity and believe that gravity is restrictive. And so I could sign off on maybe 75% gravity. Well, you know, you can try to compromise a principle like that. You you can sign off on 75% gravity if you want to, but if you fall off a cliff, you're not going three-fourths of the way down. <laughs> you know, you can't compromise on a principle because a principle is truth. And I think we have an issue with that today. I think people need to understand, or if, you know, if I was king of the world and I could wave a magic wand and have people understand something, I think it would be that that what we want is the best. I mean, when we when we say, what do you want for your children? Well, the best. Okay, well, the best is one thing. You know, the best is one thing. It, it can be different categories, but in each category, the best is one thing. We're not talking about some of the best or among the best or the best of the decade. We said the best. And so that's one thing. And, you know, there's the, the book Good to Great. And I'm I'm fine with that book. I think it's a it's a great book. It's not the best book, but it's a great book. And so if people want to go good to great, that's fine. But I want my family to go great to best. And and I want the best for my children. So when we look at the best for our children, well, it has to be, it has to involve the truth. And the truth, again, that's uh, one thing. It can be different categories, but the truth in every category is one thing. We're not talking about uh, what is true. Uh, we're not talking about among the things that are true. We said the truth. And so it's curious that somebody can find the truth and just sit on it and never accomplish the best. But if somebody wants to accomplish the best, you'll never do it without the truth. And so when we're looking at the best for our children, we have to think, Okay, are we talking about the best you can imagine or the best I can imagine? Or, I mean, where is the arbiter there? And so to me, I think the creator of the universe would be a good arbiter. And so when I look at the best, I have to keep striving because, because I, I, I say, okay, I want the best for my my boys. Well, do I want the best I can imagine? I mean, who do I think has a greater imagination, me or God? Probably God. Okay, so so if I am imagining the best for my boys and God's imagining the best for my boys, who has a greater imagination? God. We'll go with God. And so I, I think that there is, until we see the evidence of best, in our society, rather than compromise everywhere we go, I think we keep striving, we keep looking, we keep asking, we keep learning, but we do it in a civil manner. You know, it's it's no, it, it's not good to be against bullying 
and bully people into believing it. I think those are all really tough issues that our country is facing today um, within the schools, within the workplace. And I, I agree with you completely. If you can really take time to write down your values and your principles, and when you get into these situations where you're, you're being asked, and sometimes it's not even someone's asking you, but you feel those vibrations to compromise your values, and you can turn around and you can ask yourself, am I willing to do that? And why would I do it? And go right. to the big why. I always go to the why. Why am I doing this? Or why should or shouldn't I be doing it? I think it's one of those things that you kind of weave all the way through the book with David Ponder. Um, and I love the last name Ponder because he literally has to ponder through all of the different um, things that he's learning is that for most people, whether it's God or whether it's um, another force that they believe in, it's believing for me that there's someone bigger than me. Right. That right. there's someone bigger than me. We're going to take a quick break. We only have one um, segment left. And with that, again, I, I would like to talk a little bit about, you know, the, the radio show is called Money Sense. So I always try to relate the show to Money Sense. And, of course, as an employer, I'm going to give these books out for Christmas to my employees. And for me, I want to do it because every one of my employees is absolutely amazing. And they've all chosen to be extraordinary. And anytime that I can add some little value to how they can look through a different lens and help them grow, it's, it's really important. But also for me, it's important because happy employees take care of and have happy clients right. and have happy lives. So I think a book like this really can help people to be grateful, but could also see themselves through a different lens. And with yeah. that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. You can go to ellenbecker.com. You can get to know a little bit more about each of us. You can put a voice and a face together. Today, my guest is an author, and we've been talking about his book, The Traveler's Gift, Andy Andrews. And as I said in the very opening, he's written over 26 books. He's sold 20 million copies all around the world in many, many different languages. I happen to be fascinated with the book because I do like history, and I'm always looking for something to give as a special fun gift, or we have a book club, and you know, people are always asking us for books that for their kids. And I thought that this was just a, a great gift book, as well as a good reading book for yourself. And I looked up some of his other books, and he has another one called Little Things. And again, it's similar but different perspectives on principles that change everything. He talks about managing life in a society that seems to constantly be offended and changing, um, creating change that then is permanent, changing your own life. And, you know, getting different results and um, understanding that we always think, Andy, I forget what you said. Uh, don't worry about the small things. 
that well, was in that, there. And yet you, what, you yeah. turn around and show it that the small things are actually pretty, pretty important. Yeah. People talk about don't sweat the small stuff. Yes. And the old man that found me on the beach years ago said, well, you better. He said, because everything, every big thing is made up of small stuff. And, you know, doing the research on that, I realized that that is, that is so true. You know, the, uh, the Mona Lisa hangs in the Louvre and, and when Da Vinci painted the Mona Lisa, he did so with the smallest brush that was available at that time. And his, his uh, peers said, what are you doing? You're taking forever on that. And it's just taking forever. And he said, well, I'm creating a masterpiece. And of course he did, but that small brush is part of that masterpiece. Because if you look at the, the Mona Lisa in the Louvre today, even with a magnifying glass, you can't discern brush strokes. It has photorealism. And, and yet he did it with a brush. And so it, 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 helps us to remember that in five years or 10 years from now, whatever you create with your life, whether you create a masterpiece or a disaster, either way, it will be done one tiny brushstroke at a time. You know, that's so funny talking about that. I remember, and it's it's helping you to look at a bigger picture, but I remember reading, I believe it was the Pillars of Earth, and the guy was walking down um, the road, and he saw a, a guy chopping bricks for the church, and, and he said, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm chopping bricks, and he goes a little bit further down the road and sees another guy doing it. He says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a cathedral. Yeah. And it's yeah. exactly how you look at it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so it's, you know, the those those tiny elements. You know, when when Michael Phelps uh, won his eighth gold medal in the in the Beijing Olympics, that eighth gold medal was worth a million dollars from Speedo. Uh, his his swimsuit sponsor said that if he broke Mark Spitz's record of seven gold medals. And if he got the eighth one, they'd give a million dollars to a charity of his choice. And, and so he did get that eighth gold medal. But the thing that a lot of people don't know or have forgotten is that eighth gold medal was won by one one hundredth of a second. That's faster than the beat of a hummingbird's wing, faster than the blink of an eye. It's faster than a lightning strike, one one hundredth of a second. But the, the real curious thing about that is I look at that and I think, when was that gained? Was it another cup of coffee that morning? Was it five minutes more of a nap during that week? Was it a thought? Because, you know, scientists now believe that thoughts have mass. And so if he is on that stand or at any time in that race, he thought, I can't do this. Would that have taken two one hundredths of a second off his time? I mean, what was it that really? gained that because that 
one one hundredth of a second. Obviously, a very small thing, but it's worth a million dollars. When I think of that, you know, we always don't sweat the small stuff, but it is true. It is the small stuff that makes up the big stuff. I always say it's like the every large company started as a small company one day. Right. That's exactly right. And and so it's, you know, it, it all these books, anybody can go on andyandrews.com and and get these books. And I sign I sign the books that go out. And and so they can get autographed copy from andyandrews.com. But the, I love the little things. Uh, that book was one that I wrote in between my novels. And and I was just fascinated with some of the stories that I found there about Napoleon winning at Waterloo before he lost. And, you know, there's a lot of stories that have to do with little things that people either ignored or they figured out, or they employed, and so very. It's a very cool concept when you think about it. My guest today is author Andy Andrews. He has written two great books: "The Traveler's Gift" and "Little Things." They're 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 great great gifts to give away. I want to thank you for being a guest, and as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a great day. Bye.